Keep Talking exists to have conversations that might help to make a better society and a better culture. I believe that each guest has important information and stories to make public. This is the Keep Talking podcast. To support it, please take a second and subscribe to the show. It helps to make this content possible. The following is a conversation with Orna Danath. Orna is an Israeli sociologist, a teacher at Tel Aviv University, and the author of the landmark book, Regretting Motherhood. During our conversation, Orna talks about the women she profiled in her book, the difference between regretting motherhood and having ambivalence towards it, and why and how women end up in a life where they regret being mothers. Orna also talks about regretting motherhood as one of our world's taboo topics, the idea that being childless is selfish, what it is like for women to come out as regretting parenthood, and whether the desire to be child-free is an innate orientation. This is one of the most important and interesting conversations I've ever had. Amazingly, Orna's work is the first of its kind, a study that gives voice to women whose experience of motherhood has been an unequivocal mistake. We often, I think, like to believe such people don't exist, hence the shame that's often associated with those who affirm this experience. Orna has helped to bring such women out of the shadows and, I hope, begun to lessen the stigma of those who honestly share the regret they feel about an irreversible, life-changing decision. If we are to live in a world that respects and encourages individuality and personal preferences, then Orna's work is a consciousness-raising offering. I hope that it will help millions of women learn that they are not alone and reduce the likelihood of people being influenced by conformity and peer pressure over honoring one's inner compass. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Orna Denath. Orna, thank you so much for doing this. I know you just mentioned it's um, Memorial Day in Israel. I know it's late where you are. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and have this conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk to you about this topic. It's my pleasure. And it's one that I have been fascinated by and wanting to focus on for a long time. And I think a big reason for that is I think what you have touched on in your book is um, giving voice to what I, I'm confident are uh, many, many, many women, probably millions of women who um, have an experience in this world with motherhood that is arguably one of the most taboo subjects that can be discussed publicly. And the, I think your, the title of your study, this, the title of your book, Regretting Motherhood, kind of captures that and I want to get into some of the the quotes from the book and the notes I, I've taken from from reading your work. I thought it might be helpful for the audience in the first place just to start by asking you how this book and the study came about in the first place. What's the background story there? The starting point was my previous study uh, yeah. here in Israel. I started it. Uh, I started it in two thousand and three. And it was about Israeli Jewish men and women who don't want to be parents. It was mm. the first study here in Israel about it. I'm a sociologist. And um, I conducted this study for five years. And when I ended the study, there was one sentence that kept troubling me. And that was the certain promise towards uh, people who don't want to be parents, and especially women who don't want to be mothers, 
the certain promise that like it's like with the finger like you will surely regret it yeah. everybody uh promise women especially women who don't want to be mothers that they will surely regret it and as a sociologist it tr- it kept troubling me and i related to it as a political usage of emotions mm. that society uses the uh, emotional stance of regret in order to align us into the right path into motherhood. So I wanted to learn more about this triangle of regret, parenthood, non-parenthood, and society. And I uh, decided to write my PhD study about this. Uh, it was I started with a lot of uh, intentions and it got it narrowed <laughs> along the way because it was too much to study everything that I wanted about this triangle. Mm. And at the end, I I uh, I wrote about the regret of women uh, following becoming mothers, about becoming mothers. And then I learned that it was the first study about it uh, in the world, like a qualitative study that I conduct by conducting interviews with women who are saying, for me, it was a mistake. Yeah. So that was my path to, to study about regretting motherhood. You detail this at the beginning of the book, and I thought it might be helpful just to define terms And I thought you wrote this very eloquently about what regret really means. And so I'm going to just take a minute or two to read this out. And these are direct quotes from the book that I think kind of set the table fairly well about uh, what you mean when you say regret. And this is the quote. Often, if we do talk about regretting motherhood, something interesting happens. A debate about regret shifts very quickly to a debate about maternal ambivalence. Regret is indeed located on a wide range of conflicted experiences within motherhood, but regret and ambivalence are not the same. Whereas regret may involve ambivalent feelings about motherhood, ambivalence towards motherhood does not necessarily imply regret for it. There are mothers who experience ambivalent feelings but do not regret becoming mothers, and there are mothers who regret becoming mothers who are not ambivalent about motherhood. My insistence that My insistence that regretting motherhood should stay as the center of the debate stems from understanding that conflating ambivalence and regret, treating them as though they are one and the same, obviates the possibility of listening to what women who lament becoming mothers have to say. If we rush into talking about the hardships of motherhood, then we neutralize the contributions of regret. We need to rethink the axiom that motherhood is necessarily experienced as worthwhile by all mothers everywhere. During my interviews with several women who had, who had contacted me because we were interested in participating, because they were interested in participating, it turned out that although they experienced ambivalence over, ambivalence over and conflicts within motherhood, they did not identify themselves as regretful, and therefore I did not include their empirical data in the study. And there's one brief additional component to this that I wanted to read out before getting your reaction to this, and this is the additional quote. Two more criteria help me differentiate difficulty or ambivalence in motherhood from regret. The first was a negative answer when I asked the following question. If you could go back with the knowledge and experience you have now, would you still become a mother? The second was a negative answer to the question, from your point of view, are there advantages to motherhood? Some of the women answered with a sweeping no. When the answer to this question was positive, 
where the interviewee found that motherhood had some advantages, I followed up. From your point of view, do the advantages outweigh the disadvantages? To this, the, their answer was negative. Following these criteria <clears throat> points to a stable experience of regret among these women. Some of them reported living with it since pregnancy, some after birth, and some after the first years of motherhood until the present day. These criteria also clarify why the question, <clears throat> how can I come to terms with the difficulties of motherhood, is not identical to the experience that becoming a mother was a mistake, and why saying, <clears throat> I suffer within motherhood, yet the smile of my child is worth everything in the world to me, is not the same as saying, I suffer within motherhood, and there is nothing in the world that makes it worthwhile. I know that was a mouthful there, but I just wanted to clarify what I think you mean by the word regret and give you an opportunity to respond to that quote and and just add anything else that just to clarify who these people are that are profiled in the book that you might want to make as an addition there. For me, because see, I... I watch from like from uh, from a side that, uh, especially in Germany, when a lot of uh, Germany was the first place where uh, the first country where my book was published in two thousand and fifteen, I think. And I, I when I Google translated some of the uh, conversation because I don't know German, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I saw that as I wrote that so many times people are talking about ambivalency Hmm. and I understood why, but I wanted to, if it were on my behalf, I wanted to shift it all the time to the, to the thing that I, I was talking about in the book. It's not the same. I wanted, there is spectrum of emotions towards motherhood from women. They feel so many things about motherhood. They have a very, complex relate so many women have so, a complex relationship with motherhood and i wanted to talk like specifically about this feeling that it was not worthwhile for me even if i have like nice moments even if i love my kids and most of them said that they truly love their children mm. they were they were saying for me there it was not worthwhile it was a mistake if I could go back in time, I would not have become mother once again. It is not for me. And I wanted to contribute this um, perspective to the discourse about motherhood because we most of the time we don't want to talk about this really specific uh, perspective, uh, retrospect- uh, retrospective view about motherhood. So for me, the first criteria was self self identifying as regretting motherhood because when I published like uh, that I'm I'm looking to talk to women who regret the headline of of my publication was not hardships within motherhood. Sometimes I'm having a bad day and I want to run away. Uh, it was like clearly regretting motherhood. That was the thing that I wanted to talk about. So women who identified themselves as regretting motherhood, they approached me mm. and they wanted to talk about this specifically. And I wanted to like really take care 
of this emotional stance that we most of the time we don't hear about it and so many times we don't want you don't want to hear about it hmm. so much of this reminds me when i was young about people who were gay who didn't feel comfortable coming out right and yeah. this this yeah. the whole concept of this book and i mentioned this at the beginning of the conversation just to me speaks of one of the remaining taboos that it's almost to many people as though what you are profiling the people that you're profiling people who truly do regret this decision even if they love their kids as an impossibility that that's almost something that cannot exist in this world i i also thought it would be helpful you just alluded to how you found these people but i'd love to hear some of the stories of 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 these people you know it's about women mothers who come to you did many of them also feel that it was imperative that they conceal their actual identity, that this was not something that they were comfortable coming out with publicly and required a pseudonym? First, I will say that I also interviewed 10 men who regret yeah. fatherhood, uh, but I didn't include it in in my study and later on in the book because, um, you know, university has their limits of words to the PhD and it was already... Uh, more than 300 pages so I couldn't I couldn't give like the, the the respect that I wanted to mothers and fathers as well equally so and and be, because we live in a society that still relates to women as must be mothers and also to women who become mothers more harshly than to men mm. who become fathers I wanted to dedicate it to uh, first to women and to mothers who regret it and um, now I don't remember the question. <laughs> well, the, the 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 pseudonym component, the people who came to you, were they, did many of them because they, and this is a, there's a quote in the book that I want to read out later related to shame. Um, yeah. Did, did many oh, okay. of the women require you to falsify their identity so that they could contribute to your work? Yeah, they wanted me to change uh, several uh, details. You know, sometimes, not all of the times, but sometimes when it's written that they have three children, it may be four children. You know, I needed to like the, to blur their identity. Uh, but there were also few women who told me you can use my private, my real private name. You can use it, you know, when I translate it into like to English and then it was published in all the other countries. I chose different names, but here in Israel, uh, some of them wanted, they told me you can use my my real name. Um, after consideration with the university, I still changed. I, I, I came back to them and said, uh, university doesn't allow me to, to use your real name. Uh, you can choose whatever name, whichever name you, you want. And they chose other names. Um, yeah, many of them were quite worried that nobody will will be able to identify them because it is, uh, yeah, there is shame about feeling shame and guilt. Yeah. Deep shame and guilt uh, for feeling like this. Yeah. I wonder for yourself, and I, you know, you, I think, kind of alluded to this, that it's incredible to me that a study like this had never been done before, given the... I think what is almost certainly the the millions of women out there who have felt this way 
before and have never really been able to speak to it. I mean, part of what got me interested in the subject in the first place were anonymous online forums, like in Ask Reddit forums, where people can use a screen name or some sort of a username and speak their truth about their life in a way that doesn't um, require them to publicly come out with their actual identity. And that I think in, in many contexts can make truth telling a little bit easier. I know, I believe from the book itself, and you allude to this, that you know, you're somebody that has always known that you didn't want kids. Is this something that you just sort of intuited that there would be a market out there that they're either you know, through friends of yours or just being in the world, you knew that this was a story that was that needed to be told? Yeah, I, I think some in, in one of the articles, uh, I was quoted as if I said that I was so tired of of hearing the promise that I that I will someday regret it, that I made this study and they described it as kind of it was a kind of revenge on yeah. my behalf of doing this study, and it is completely not true. Um, I was. I was intrigued. I was intrigued. I was really curious to learn about, we are being told like a partial story. And as a woman who don't want to be a mother, I'm kind of an outsider. And of course, as a sociologist, as a feminist, I'm a kind of an outsider. And I wanted to, I wanted to look at the whole picture. Mm. And then, then, and only then women will have a true ability to have the liberty to decide. I'm not against motherhood. I'm not against childbirths. Of course, I'm not against mothers and not against children. Who am I to, to rule something about other lives of women? Mm. So for me, it was not a vendetta. It was not an agenda of, of proving that also mother regret. I wanted to talk about the suffering of women who are being under pressure to either way. Mm. And this, this was my angle. And as a woman who don't want to be a mother, I'm a kind of outside the norm. And therefore, I had the uh, possibility to look at something that maybe many people don't want to look about uh, on it and uh, to to like open the spectrum uh, about mm. it. Yeah. And um, from here on, I don't have any agenda about the the decisions of women, what to do with their lives. Uh, it's their lives. Of course, they will do with it whatever they want, including becoming mothers and to how many children that they, they want and can raise. Yeah. I think that's fair. And I, I mean, it sounds like you were in a sort of a unique position to be able to give voice <clears throat> to these women in the first place because of your your orientation in general. And I thought it might be helpful just to, and, and this was some of the favorite components of the of your book to me were the quotes from these women who are in the book. And you profile a variety, a wide variety of different women who are in here who speak about the subject of regretting motherhood. And here's the one that I was referencing earlier about the shame and the shame of admitting that they regret that people, women regret motherhood. And this is, this is the quote, I am surrounded all the time by babies and parents and reproductive treatments. 
So I know that many women think as I do, but they don't dare dare say it even to themselves or to the people who are the closest to them. I understand the difficulty. I understand it. It is difficult for me as well. It's hard to undo the programming, the romantic the romanticization of parenthood when it's accompanied by a social or political ideology. You alluded to this earlier about how the many of the people in the book are not they don't dislike children it's more that the motherhood component is something that is not for them and there are a couple quotes that speak to that theme as well here's one of them most of the mothers i this is from you most of the mothers i interviewed emphasized the difference between their feelings about motherhood and their feelings about the children themselves which you spoke to earlier then here's another one for the mothers who participated in my study the distinction between the distinction helped to clarify what they regret, motherhood, and what they do not regret, the object of birth itself, their children. Um, I, I think maybe one, one, one additional theme that I wanted to focus on, and, and this is one that I think I have intuited a little bit before, and I like the way that you put it in the book, the difference between completeness and deficiency. And this is a quote from someone in your book who said, I felt complete without birthing. It didn't seem to be my role in the world to have children, but I thought that although I'm happy and although everything had gone very well for me, maybe there was another part of life that I should experience. So I thought of it as some kind of an adventure. People say when it's your own child, I've heard this quote in my own life. People say when it's your own child, it's different. And that's not true. Not for me. I've got to tell you, I, I had felt it before, and let's put it this way. I always knew why I didn't want it and that I didn't and that didn't change. And then this is a this is another quote about completion and deficiency. Whereas a non-mother is considered by society at large to be deficient and at times a non-person, the mothers in my study relate to motherhood as turning them into a de- into deficient persons as their pre-motherhood experience seems fuller and more satisfactory. In other words, instead of describing a movement from deficient to complete, they describe a movement from complete to deficient. Um, maybe if we could focus on that specific theme, because that is one, you know, I live in America. I assume there some of these themes are, are probably uh, can correlate to, to Israel and other Western countries but the the idea that you almost for all people there is this you kind of just feel it in the zeitgeist of the culture that it, you are sort of less than or an incomplete human or an incomplete woman until you have kids and that that is something that will actually make your life whole any other comments about that specific idea because i i think both as someone who has written this book and with your own orientation towards not wanting to be a parent yourself, um, I'm curious if there's additional, you know, context or uh, reflections you have on that that specific idea. First, I would like to say that while you read it, I, I'm getting tears in my eyes, even though I wrote it and I know the I, I teach about it and I talk about it. Only earlier today, I I like uh, taught a class, uh, like a whole course about about this topic of non-motherhood and motherhood. I know this topic from 
inside out and upside down and from each and every angle. And still, when you read it and like I heard it from outside and not the things that I'm saying all the time, it really made me sad. I, I really felt that the, like tears are coming up because uh, for me, it's so it's really deeply, deeply sad that uh, people who are not parents are being related as their lives are are, are nothing. And um, there, until a certain age, everything is okay. Your life is like it's considered to be as it should be, and everything is in place. And then I don't know to like mention exactly the the age, and maybe in in America it's different than in Israel. But there is a certain age when your life begins to to be considered as something is missing. Yeah. And something is damaged and you are damaged and you are the same person as you were yesterday, but now it's not enough. And you have to complete it by parenthood. And there are people who are saying, no, no, my life is, is okay for me. And we are being treated by society as if it's not enough. It's like we are being, um, we are being taught to chase after ghosts, like to achieve something, even though sometimes we don't want it. Sometimes we don't feel we miss it. And still at one point, like someday, suddenly we are being told that uh, it's not enough. And this is really sad because I think that this, it creates, it creates suffering in, because because we are being socialized to be afraid from being alone. And I'm not talking about being lonely. I'm talking mm. about being alone. Mm. And we are being told that being parents is the only way that you can feel happiness. And it was not like that along the history. You know, children, they had a different function than making grown-up people happy to to feel happy um so people even there are people that even though they live their life and it's good enough for them like they are being injured by society that comes and say uh no no this is a really damaged life it is and, such yeah, sorry go ahead and this in itself I'm just repeating myself. This in itself might create suffering and not the life without children. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a crucial point. And I, I just think it is an area of social peer pressure that is never really examined in, at least in my experience in, in my own country, where you are totally correct that I think in most families in most societies, you wake up one day and there is this concept that there is something missing or damaged in you if you don't have an orientation or a calling towards becoming a parent. And we are tribal people who are highly influenced by peer pressure and shame and guilt. And I know you profile women in the book who admit this, that you know they either have kids because they didn't want to lose their partner or because that's just what you do. And then they wake up five years later, a year later, 10 years later, and are living a life that is not 
really them. And, you know, that's, it's almost too late in many ways before you make that decision. And I know we spoke about this briefly earlier that this is something that the, it's not a perfect analogy, but it, it does remind me of the way gay people were treated when I was a kid, that, that it's an orientation and so many, you know, men and women fell prey to the zeitgeist and culture of their day and just acted a myth, acted out a lie for the rest of their life. Is there anything else that comes to with that parallel there that resonates with you that this is kind of one of those remaining blind spots that we may have in our, our culture? I will say two things. The things that I said before are exactly the same about being in a couple or mm. being single. Yeah. It's the same. Uh, you know, like uh, feeling uh, like being told that you are damaged if you are not in a couple of, and of course, with a heterosexual coupledom or a heteronormative. And um, yeah, I think um, the thing that is the analogy is 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 correct because uh, there is not being normative, but being considered as not normal, and it's mm. not the same. Like, if the norm here in Israel is to become a mother, when I uh, decided not to become a mother, I'm not normative in this respect, and I don't have anything bad to say about this conclusion. It's a fact. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not disagreeing. I'm not arguing. It's not insulting for me if if one one will say to me that I'm not normative in this respect. He is right um, because this is the norm. But the problem is to create like the, it's the, like it considered to be the same that if I'm not normative, I'm also not normal, meaning that I'm crazy, that I'm mm. insane. Mm. And that creates suffering because I, I, I agree that I'm not normative, but I'm being judged also as not normal, meaning in I, I'm insane. It's not that it's so important for me to be considered as sane, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't know what normal is and what sane is, and I have questions also about it and about the uh, um, like the uh, institutional uh, um, uh, term for what is being normal, and I'm I'm not in a hurry to be considered as normal. But there are consequences when I'm not uh, being considered as normal and when I'm being considered as insane and crazy. Mm. So, and this is the same about all the people who are not going in the heteronormative lane of life. Mm. If you are gay, if you are lesbian, uh, bisexual, trans, uh, uh you know, so many, so many other gendered and and sexual identities, and it's the same. There is society relates it as if there is only one path to live life, to live like real life and the correct life. And each and every one of us who are not on this path are considered insane, crazy, uh, deviant, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's another adjective that I have heard related to people like that. And this is specific to people who choose not to become 
parents or women who who choose not to become mothers. And I know this is one that you touch on in the book, which is selfish, that they're, they're selfish. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to that idea that, you know, choosing not to become a mom specifically is a selfish act. How do you respond to that? I would say that we are all selfish in one way or in another, and I'm not, I'm not judgmental about it. I Mm. think it's a big part of being human is to think about ourselves and, and uh, we can try to cover it up and try to play hide and seek about it. But this is a part of being subject in life. We are also interested in our interests and uh, how it's going to affect us. And we want to make things more beneficial to us. So I'm not relating to it in a judgmental way. I'm saying we are all selfish. And as long as we don't hurt other people, uh, let's be honest about it. Mm -hmm. And people who are becoming parents are selfish as well. And I would like to stress once again, I'm not judging it. I'm saying this is a matter of fact. When people are becoming parents, (coughs) sorry, because they want someone to take care of them when they are older, because they want someone who is uh, looks like them or will continue the heritage of the family and the tradition of the family. And they want continuity and every all the things that people, the, the reasons why people are becoming parents. It's kind of selfish. And I understand it. And I don't think that there is a better reason than other reason. But I'm going against this binary division as if People who don't want to be parents are selfish and people who are becoming parents are like doing it from an altruistic uh, reasons. Hmm. Uh, Let's look at it and see that we all think about ourselves in one way or another. And there are like uh, bringing children into the world. Sometimes there, there are consequences who doesn't necessarily benefits like the earth like the country, you know, there are demographic here in Israel who are saying, because the, in Israel, the average, uh, the average of childbirth are, are really high in the OECD. It's yep. 3.1. And there are demographics here in Israel who are saying, we must reduce childbirths yesterday, not today, yesterday, the day before <laughs> today. <laughs> Last week, we need <laughs> to reduce it. Otherwise, we will not be able to live in Israel. We will not be able to, like, we will stand in traffic jams. It's not that we will be stuck. We will we will live there. We, we will not be able to move here in 2050, something like that. So if, for example, I'm not bringing children into the world also, because thinking about the earth, about the resources and nature, natural resources and everything like that, am I, am I the selfish one here? I don't know. There are many questions to be asked here. And we tend to think like in a really like automatic, automatic way about things. And this really bothers me. It's like, I'm, I'm like, I really, um, I really like elephants in the room and, mm. and to talk about 
them. I yeah. think we're, I think we're alike in that way. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's important to again state something you already said, which is that you are not against people becoming mothers. I think what no. you're against is what brought tears to your eyes, which is, you know, people making mistakes that are, you know, irreversible in their life and, um, doing it out of shame or guilt or peer pressure and not often knowing what they're doing. The, the, the phrase that kept coming to my mind and, and just listen to you right now is know thyself that, that, you know, the beginning of wisdom is understanding, you know, who you are as best you can and what is likely to, to bring you, you know, a thriving life. And I, you know, I, I want to spend a little bit of time getting your thoughts on, the maybe the women specifically or or you know you talked to you as you mentioned men as well who are the people in your estimation who are most at risk of falling into this legitimate regret after and i know it's complicated and i'm sure there are a variety of factors but it, you know the ones that really come to mind i would be curious to get your thoughts on Wow. I don't know. I don't know. Um, first, maybe maybe I wouldn't uh, relate to it as a risk mm. because I relate to regret as one of the human emotions that mm. we experience so many in so many um, aspects if, in our lives. We live alongside regret it's a human experience and i'm not seeing it i don't want to participate in the demonization of regret um for me it's really logic that we will do things in life and then we will understand retrospectively that it was a mistake Mm. Uh, there is the sociologist sigmund bauman who wrote that one of the aspects of freedom is having the liberty to make mistakes. Yeah. Like to take to to do things, to take the responsibility about it and also to understand that we made a mistake. So for as I relate to it, uh you know, we regret uh, getting married, not getting married, having a tattoo, not having a tattoo, starting to uh, study this and not that and maybe why not earlier and why so late and you know so many regrets in our lives and we live along i don't i don't i i i came across like guidance book in mm. i think in the united states how to live a regret free living and uh this is uh, this is a kind of sterilization of of human life i i'm not i'm not going towards this um aim this is not my aim to to try to live a regret-free living so this is about the risk and i really don't know how to answer your question because um in my study there were three groups of women uh the first one was of women who from the outset knew that they don't want to be mothers and they, as you said before, they still became mothers because of the pressure. They didn't want to get a divorce. And and now they regret. And it's like, you know, it's like a like thin thread between not wanting it before and also not wanting it after. <laughs> and it, it, like uh, there is a, like a Polish uh, theater writer or something. He said that uh, regret it is what makes me continue to be myself. 
So for them, it's this is the thing. And the second group was of women who really laughed when I asked them, do you remember when you identified that you want to become a mother? And they really laughed in my face because they said, who knows? Who knows if I wanted to become a mother or not? I never stopped thinking about it. Mm. I never stopped to think about it because mm. it was automatic. We are being told that this is the natural path. You get married and you get you are uh, becoming a mother. And I never stopped to think about what my my wishes, my willings, my abilities, my disabilities. I just did it. And the third group was of women who said to me that they really, really, really wanted to become mothers. They thought that a motherhood will heal some wounds in their past and that the motherhoods will like kind of uh, create a new world for them. And only in retrospect, they understood that it only made things worse for them, more chaotic and worse. So many times uh, students in my classes ask me about it because they want to think, uh, to hear my answer that I'm saying that, yes, if you want, if you want to become a mother, you will never regret it. The, the ones who regret it are only the women who didn't want it from the outset. And I can't, and I can't deliver this yeah. kind of promise that if you wanted to be a mother, you will surely not regret it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yet that being said, I have like, like with the gay analogy that removing the stigma from that being an option for a sane, healthy, you know, responsible citizen, I think inevitably will lead future generations here. And I think around the world to be much less apt to pretend that they're straight, that they want to get married to a woman if they're a man or the inverse. Is that, do you, do you feel like that is fair? That while regret can never be removed entirely from life, as you, as you've just alluded to, that what we can do is by speaking, you know, the truth of the stories of these women and having conversations like this, just to remove the, that stigma, which I think still very much exists in you know, mitigating the risk of real serious life altering mistakes like this. I like, I wanted to like to pray hallelujah for what you said <laughs> about uh, someday that we will live in such a society where we will not be, there will not be a necessity to pretend and that we will be able to be closer to ourselves and and to live uh, more honest in a more honest way I'm, I'm quite sure that it might reduce suffering but unfortunately I'm not as optimistic because history is not linear mm. and even now we can see in America and also in Israel that while we thought that we are going towards it there are people who, because of that, want to take us to a different way. Uh, we can see it in the laws of, of the abortions in America. Like we thought we reached there and then there is a um, backlash, you know, mm -hmm. there is, um, we are being, and also for the, the rights of trans people in America, I think there is, it's not linear mm -hmm. story. So I'm all all the time cautious about 
like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Maybe now it's the best days mm. that we are experiencing for a long time. Maybe it's going to get worse. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think I would be curious to get your feedback on this because I I have to think that for a lot of, you know, women who are successful and quote unquote successful in our culture and you know, they're, they're like a lot of the women that you profile They're you know, they're, they're younger and they haven't yet become mothers, but they have this enduring sense that that's just not for them. I don't know that many of those women have a narrative in their head for other reputable women who decided not to do that and have learned about the you know, because I think so much of that decision to opt into parenthood or motherhood, if that, if you, you know, know that you don't want to do that is based on fear and not having a clear answer to the question of, well, who, right. I, I'm sure you've heard this. I know I've heard this in my own life, the retort, the immediate question of, well, who's going to look after you when you're older? What are you going to do in your old age? How are you going to find meaning in your life? And And maybe it just makes sense for me to you know, kind of put that question to you that not that life is ever going to be utopia as, you know, I think you were just alluding to or without mistakes or regrets in general, but, you know, in your experience, what are, what are some of the advantages outside of just living a life that's in accordance with your own orientation that you have found to be true about, you know, not going, taking the road less traveled and, and not becoming a mom? Uh, Two things I want to say about the the, the thing that you said. Uh, one is this is the reason why now I'm writing my third book mm. uh, based on a study that I started uh, three and a half years ago, uh, within which I interviewed elderly women in Israel mm. who are not mothers. They mm. are women between the ages of 60 and 86. And because we are being so frightened about the future and what will happen when we are old, I wanted to go, as usual, to flesh and blood women (laughs) and to hear what they have to say about their lives without being mothers. (laughs) And I talked to 25 women until now. I interviewed 25 women and now I'm writing it, (laughs) uh, this uh, book. And I didn't hear about regret from them not becoming mothers. They did talk about complexity and sometimes sadness and and questions. I want to I want to b- write about the sociology of con- continuity and sociology of um uh, of. How do you say when you leave your assets to people like wills? Inheritance. Uh, inheritance. Yeah, yeah, I want to write about it. What mm. what will be left behind and and to who they to whom they want to to move it forward. And there are a lot of questions about it. And um and but I heard generally speaking now, I heard women who are saying, Yeah, I live the life that I wanted to live, mm. even though it's not uh, easy all the time, even though there are hardships as well. Uh, but yeah, I live the life that I want to live. And for me, 
you know, I knew since I was 16 that I don't want to be a mother. I'm uh, 46 now, 30 years have uh, passed, and I'm still waking up in the morning and saying thank you, thank you, thank you that I recognize correctly about myself, that it's not for me, Mm. it's not for me. I would be really miserable if I would have become a mother. I think I would have interviewed myself to the book Mm. Regretting Motherhood if I would have become a mother. It's not for me. Uh, There are different like personalities and my personality is introvert. Mm. My sources of energy are from being alone Mm. in quiet, thinking, Mm. processing, listening to music. I need to be on my own many hours during the day after I'm teaching and each day I'm I'm standing in front of audiences all the time. I teach a lot and then I need to come home and quiet. I need quiet. So here is a really huge advantage for me for not becoming a mother that I, I, I had the possibility that not everyone has to know myself, as you said, say before, and to recognize what will make me uh, better regarding my well-being and what will make me miserable. Hmm. And I have the privilege, yeah, let's admit, I have the privilege to do it. And I'm thankful, grateful for that. Yeah, that is beautifully put, very well put. And I think it's brilliant that you are uh, that had not dawned on me or occurred to me to go to, you know, women who are older, who fit this profile to hear from them, because who could, who better to speak to this in general than, than women towards the end of their lives who have opted not to become moms themselves. And I, I would, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about, you know, you just said 16 and now it's 30 years later, you know, to give voice to what it means to know that you don't want to have kids, you know, if that is just a inner kind of inexplicable knowledge, self-knowledge about the way you're wired. Um, I don't know if anything comes to mind about what that was like, you know, at that age, 16 or, you know, whenever that you, you feel like you got the clarity that you needed to say something that definitively, but, and I, I would imagine your whatever your response would be would map onto a lot of women who can identify it. But what, what is that experience like to, to know that this is not for you? What do you remember about that? I remember listening to my friends in, in my friends in class uh, Mm. when we were 16. Uh, I was like in a dancing class in an art school and, and we sat, we were like really close friends and sat in, in the breaks between lessons and we talked about many things. And I heard them saying that, yeah, I will be a mother. I will have children. I have, I will have three, uh, their names will be this and that. And I remember really clearly listening to them and Thinking to myself, that's very, very interesting because this is not my dream. Mm. I cannot see it happen. Uh, my, uh, Our imagination is a really important thing mm. in this story. Mm. And I couldn't imagine myself 
not getting married and not being a mother. There was like, there was no picture about it in my future. So I realized then that something I, I can imagine, uh, it's, it's like, I need to deal with it because people are saying to me that mm. this is the dream I must have. But for me, it was not an uh, like an inner dream. It's not. It was not mine. It was something that was implanted inside, and now I need to to say something about it. Mm. But for me, it was not my dream, mm. and I never related to it as a problem that I need to solve. For me, it was quite logic that there are women who want to be mothers and women who don't want to be mothers. And it was not strange for me that they want to be become mothers one day. I just heard them and said, wow, interesting. This is not my dream. Hmm. But quite soon, society made sure to, to let me know that I have a problem and that it should be solved. And this is what, why, like for 20 years already, I'm trying to like unturn rocks and, and mm. stones in order to understand what is going on here. Why we are being told that we are the same just because we have the same biological organs. We mm. are not the same. So I, I understand your question. It's quite hard to mm. explain what this quiet knowing feels like. Yeah. 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 I, I understand. And I know we're getting towards the, the end of our time together, but I, I, I would love to, you know, on that point, how did you endure in that? Right. I mean, this is thankfully we, we, I would agree with the word you used earlier, which is the privilege to live in despite all of its problems, the, in modernity, um, how were you able to persist when society came knocking for you to be a become a mom or to convince you that something was damaged or missing in your own life um anything come to mind there about what what was required to you know to honor that inner knowing that you just alluded to yeah you know so many times i was told that i'm i have courage that i'm, I'm courageous mm -hmm. and i never i never identified with this with this saying about me for me it doesn't feel like courage it feels like um necessity it's it mm. i i have no other option but to live as closest to the way that i want to live this life i didn't choose to be here i'm here mm. uh and i'm trying to live as much as possible uh as the way that I want to live. This is the only option that I can see. And once again, this is a privilege, very privileged saying, I know, but I must admit I am privileged also in, in Israel. And um, they, there are women around the world who don't have this opportunity and they are being oppressed and they are being obligated to become mothers, but this is not my situation. And uh, even though they are, you know, sayings and stigmas, but nobody, nobody like, you know, put a gun into my head and, and made me become a mother. And there are women who unfortunately do experience this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, 
so for me it was like a kind of survival it's not mm. courageous it's a, it's it's survival i don't i don't know i don't know how to live my life other than being closest to the way that i want to live it yeah so and i think that another thing is that because i'm 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 the in israel i'm really familiar with this topic and I'm known about it because I was interviewed also in television, on television, newspapers, the radio. And I think it gives me a kind of a sh- like a, an armor mm. around me to deal with all the stigmas because everything that is being say- said towards me, I'm using, I'm like doing an Aikido with that. I'm using it for teaching, for my writing. I'm not taking it personally. I'm like navigating it to my to my interests like you know so it's kind of a protection for me that is beautifully put um i i just before we close i want to say how much i appreciate what you do and blowing the lid off of this elephant in the room and the one of the remaining taboo topics i i'm grateful that your work exists and that you've spent as much time and energy putting it out into the world because i I have to believe this will be a massive benefit to people who stumble upon it. And this kind of sounds like the book you maybe wish you would have had when you were 16, which is where I think a lot of great work and art can come from in people's lives. And maybe I can close on this. You you just spoke to the work that you're doing with elderly women. When is that going to be available? What's What's the timetable looking like on that? When do you expect that to be out? I really, really, really hope that it will be written in Hebrew for, first <laughs> in, in the next two years. I don't see it being published uh, sooner because I teach a lot. I don't have the same uh, conditions to write it as I had when I wrote my PhD. I, w- I was only a student, PhD student, and, and I could write all day long. Now I need to provide myself and I, I teach a lot. So I'm trying to, like, there are bits and pieces of time that I I try to write in between. So it will take time. And I really, I really have a really serious question whether it will be of an interest in other countries. Because, you know, regretting motherhood was like a bomb and I know nothing was written about it. And But writing about elderly people who are not parents, there is uh, an academic writing about it not in israel but so i will see if it's if it's going to be published i first i think i would publish it in in hebrew and let's see what what will happen from there from there love it orna thank you so much this was a, a real honor and privilege to be able to to meet you and talk about this i i really respect what you're up to and um thank you so much for the time thank you the feeling is mutual i really really enjoyed talking to you and and to listen to the things that you, you said and the question. Thank you very, very much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Keep Talking. If you're finding value in this podcast, please consider supporting the show via the links below on Venmo, PayPal, or Patreon. Your support helps to make these conversations possible.